Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like to begin by asking you a question today, and that is, what difference has Christ made in your life? Now, this takes into consideration that this is not the first time you are hearing about Jesus Christ. So if you've never heard of him before, stay tuned. We'll talk a little bit more about him. But for those of you who know Christ, what difference has he made in your life? Has he changed your life? And if so, how do we know? Can we see it? Today is the day that we celebrate Christ's transfiguration. And what is transfiguration? Well, let's look it up in the dictionary. Let's see what the definition is. Transfiguration is the act of transfiguring. Yes. Thank you, dictionary. Don't you love it when they define a word using that word? At least it does tell us also that it, it means the supernatural and glorified change in the appearance of Jesus on the mountain. So transfiguration has to do with a kind of change. And as we read the gospel, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Jesus is changed on the mountain. His faith, face, his clothes. And if we go back to the dictionary and look at the word transfigure, we see that it means to change in outward form or appearance, transform, to change so as to glorify or exalt. So for the moment, let's say that the transfigure, this transfiguration is all about transformation. So transfigure is to transform. So on the mountain, Jesus was transformed. Now, as I was thinking about transfiguration, meaning transformation, I thought about the transformation that happened to Christ here, and it led me to question whether or not we go through any kind of transformation in life, which is why I asked you the first question today. What difference has Christ made in your life? Has he changed your life? Has he transformed you? The answer is yes. Jesus has transformed us. And the place that we can turn to to see that transformation is none other than the baptismal font. Now it's possible that this is where you were first transformed by Christ. Here in the waters of baptism, as the water is combined with God's word, there is a great change, a transformation that happens because there is power in the water and the word. Titus tells us that baptism is a washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It is a rebirth. We are born again in the waters of baptism. And what happens is that old Adam that's inside of us, that sinful nature that all of us are born with because of the original sin of Adam and Eve, that's why it's called the old Adam, is drowned 
in the waters of baptism. And that new man, that new spiritual nature, the one that is filled with the Holy Spirit, rises to new life. That's what we see with every baptism. Even though you may not see this physical change like Jesus underwent take place, there is change, transformation in every baptism. As Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, God the Father says, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to him. Now it is maybe very easy to hear the words of the Father and be reminded of Jesus's own baptism. Because as the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. God the Father speaks words of affirmation to Jesus that he is his chosen one, that he is his, his beloved son, that he is the one who was appointed before the creation of the world to be its savior. So too, in your baptism, God affirms you as his chosen one, as his beloved child, as he marks you as one redeemed by him as he claims you as his own, as he forgives your sins, rescues you from death and the devil, and gives you eternal life. And as that new spirit-filled man rises up in the waters of baptism, a new spiritual journey begins, one of living a life pleasing to God, because God is at work in you, and you have been appointed to bear fruit. The fruits of the Spirit are at work in you so that you go and love and have joy and bring peace and be patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. And this happens because we just don't stay in our baptism. We don't just remain in this baptismal moment and live as infants. We continue in our journey. And this is just like Peter, James, and John as Jesus is transfigured. Peter says to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. He wanted to build some tents for the three of them. And the only reason that you need tents is if you plan to stay somewhere for a while, or at least overnight. But they weren't staying up on that mountaintop. They had to come down. In the Confession Absolution today, you heard about Moses and one of his mountaintop moments with God. Every time it happened, Moses came down. He didn't stay on the mountaintop. After visiting with Moses and Elijah, Jesus didn't stay on the mountaintop either. And that's because he had another mountain to go to the mount we call Calvary, where he would give his life for us and bring about the greatest transformation in the lives of his people that has ever been brought. You see, we are sinners, and we are sinners who sin. And there are consequences for our actions, for our sin. I mentioned that old Adam already. That is, that sinful nature that has been passed down to all of us, passed down from the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And because of that sin, death 
was brought into the world. And as a result, we will all one day die. As we're getting closer to April, you often hear that there are two certainties in life. Death and taxes. Death is a guarantee. We're all going to die. Some of us sooner than others. Some of us who still have plenty of life left in the tank. Some of us who are running on empty. Some of us more unexpectedly. Some of us at a young age. Some of us at an old age. Regardless of how or when, it is coming. And it's coming because of sin. Even Jesus' death was guaranteed because of sin. As we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared in glory with Jesus and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, the word used for departure is exodus. And here you have Jesus with Moses talking about exodus. Moses, who had the first exodus, leading the people out of slavery from Egypt, ultimately leading them to the promised land. Jesus' exodus frees us from the slavery of sin and leads us to the promised land of eternal life. And his exodus, his departure that they're talking about, is his death. His death brought about the forgiveness of sins. His death was the last and final sacrifice that was needed to atone for the sins of the whole world, for all people, for your sins and for mine. That's because the consequences of our sins is death. Yes, it's physical death as we've already talked about, but it's also spiritual death. It's damnation. It's hell. And Jesus' death was about taking our consequences, taking our punishment, taking our death, taking our damnation, taking hell for us. Because it was the only way that he could save his people. It was the only way that he could save you and me. And he did it because he loves you. And his departure, his exodus, is also about his resurrection. Because without it, his exodus is not complete. There is no promised land without the resurrection. A man dying doesn't do anything for us. The God-man, Jesus Christ, both true God and true man, dying and rising changes everything. His resurrection from the dead brings the promise of eternal life for all who believe that we will one day join Christ in the promised land of heaven. And with that comes the promise that he will transform our lowly, sin-filled, corrupt bodies and be made like his glorious, perfect body. That is the transformation that awaits all of us. Even though death is certain, God has not called us out of the world yet. Yes, our citizenship is in heaven, as Paul mentions here in Philippians 3. We also know that we are likely on this earth for at least a little while longer. And there is still some transformation that can happen. So let's go back to the question we started with today. 
What difference has Christ made in your life? We've talked about baptism. We've talked about the fruits of the Spirit. Now as you are here today, how is Christ working in you? How is he changing you? Transforming you? And what change have you been a part of for Christ and his church? Change for the better? Or change for not the better? If we go back to the definition of transfigure, we can see that it can mean change so as to glorify or exalt. Jesus is transfigured and he is the one who is glorified and exalted. We read in Hebrews 3 today, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus is worthy of all honor and glory and praise and exaltation because of his death and resurrection. And that is why he sits enthroned in heaven. And that is why he is the one who will come again and gather all believers to himself. Because he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. He is the savior of the world and he is worthy of all praise and worship. And he is also at work in us. And when we think about what he does as he transforms us, it's not that we are glorified or exalted. We are transformed and we glorify and exalt Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in us so that we love God, so that we worship him alone, so that we put him first in our lives, so that we serve him in all areas of our lives, so that we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that we hold the word of God sacred and gladly hear and learn it, that we gather together around God's word and his sacraments, that is an outward change appearance that you can see. Now, for almost the last two years, the physical gathering of God's people has been a little different. Not what it used to be. And I don't think it's going to get easier from here on out. Even as restrictions will one day be completely lifted. And that's because for many people, the gathering in worship has become unimportant. Not vital not significant. It has become compromised. The world has been trending in that direction for a long time, but I think the pandemic helped speed it up. So what do we do? Well, we don't give in to the old Adam that tells us that worship isn't important, that it's not vital. We remind ourselves that the old Adam has been drowned in the waters of baptism, has been defeated by Christ's death and resurrection, and that new man is alive in you by faith through the Holy Spirit. And that new man seeks to do God's will so that that new man will worship and glorify and exalt Christ. That new man will come and gather together with God's people. That new man will be transformed and changed by Christ. Will bear those fruits of the Spirit in daily life, in service to God and others. And the important part of all of that is that it is the Spirit working in you by faith. That's why you're able to do those things. And it's quite possible 
that peace will ask you to do more as we undergo some transformations. Now, for those of you who missed last Sunday, we heard an announcement from Pastor Brad that his body is undergoing some changes and his time, at ser- as his time in serving peace as pastor is limited. Now, we'll try not to focus too much on Pastor Brad every Sunday. It's possible he'll come up from time to time, but it's not the reason we're all here. At least we hope it isn't. If you happen to come to church because you wanted to see Pastor Brad, or you're watching the service because of Pastor Brad, great. But even after Pastor Brad is no longer serving peace, the church will still be here. Will you? Will you? And remember this. Pastor Brad is not who we worship. Pastor Brad is not who we glorify and exalt. We exalt Christ. We glorify Christ. We worship Christ. Because he is worthy of our worship and praise. And it is he who we serve because we have first been served by Christ. And he is the reason why we're here. And so when we look at the present state of things, when we look at the future ahead, we need you. We need all of you to bear the Spirit's fruits, to serve, to live your lives as God has called you to, because he has made a difference. He has changed you. He has transformed you. And so you can go and make a difference. You have been transformed in the waters of baptism so that you are now no longer infants. You have been buried with Christ in his death and you arise with Christ in his resurrection. And you are not alone. You are not on this journey by yourself. Whether it's in the lowest valleys or the highest mountaintops. Because he is with you every step of the way. And he will see your whole life through because he is faithful. So now go in peace because you have been served by the Lord. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.